Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a show all about saving the best and burning the rest. It sure is. And today we have an action-packed episode, I think. <laughs> so much action. This is going to be absolutely mind-blowing, people. <laughs> uh, no, we're going to be um, talking about some stuff that I think is uh, a bit heavy for people. Not heavy, yeah. but like I think it's, it's a question that weighs heavy on people, I should say. Mm. Um, I think when people who have issues with faith talk about faith, especially Christianity, Judaism, and the Bible, this is definitely something that comes up um, fairly often, at least in my sphere. And that is um, the God in the Old Testament often seems to be different to the God in the New Testament, right? Like yeah. a lot of the time people think of like Jesus as this hippy-dippy sort of peace-loving um, wearing a floral wreaths sort of, you know, guy. <laughs> I don't know, like stroking the lamb, you know, telling yeah, a, yeah, s- yeah. a story to the kids. Whereas the God in the Old Testament is kind of more like Zeus throwing lightning bolts down from on high, killing yeah. people randomly, um, giving his stamp of approval to genocides and just generally kind of being like a temperamental, angry sort of dude. Like, yeah, that seems to be the story. Yeah. I think that Zeus comparison is a good one. I think a lot of people can like think of the Old Testament God like that, just raining down thunder and plagues and whatever. And so, yeah, you get this kind of... I think a lot of people have this weird picture of God where it's he's almost like schizophrenic. It's like he's yeah. to- almost like a different God in the Old Testament to the New Testament. Um, and so that's what we're kind of diving into this episode next Maybe a little bit after that. I don't know. We're going to see how it goes um, yeah, <laughs> at this like, stage. Like, like we talked to you guys about like the last episode, we're, we're kind of like wanting to go in a different direction. We're wanting to take a break from all the COVID-19 sort of coverage that we've been doing. And we just want to dip our toes in this in this pool and see where the, the current takes us, man. So we could be here for the next 100 episodes. Who knows? <laughs> It might just be that interesting. It, well, I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we could go deep enough. Yeah, but uh, so um, this yeah, this episode uh, is definitely not an all all encompassing answer to that question, but I think it is a helpful start. Yes. Um, you know, and uh, like just one idea to help alleviate that burden for people a bit. Um, so anyway, but before we get into that, of course, we have to do the questions of the week. What's the question of the week this week, Josh? Are you excited? Uh, uh, okay, I'm excited, man. I am, my uh, my my expectations are, are all the way up here. Okay, this awesome. Question. This is courtesy of um, ask ask Reddit. Um, if yep. you've ever been on that subreddit, it's just people asking questions by y- user Sal the Dragon, which I just love that name. Mm. Uh, Hello, scholar. I'm sure he's a, a haystack burner. <laughs> Surely. Surely. Um, okay, so it's, you are now a supervillain, right? Um, but you're one of those supervillains who has an animal companion. So, what is your like supervillain, supervillain animal companion of choice, and why? Um, yeah, that's pretty easy. To like a fight bit. by your side, I should say. Yeah, not, yeah, 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 yeah. So like I'm rushing into battle with this with this creature. They're kind of like my familiar sort of thing. What do you mean by familiar? Oh, it's like uh, animal familiar. I don't know, like uh, his dark materials. They have like an animal that's like the... Uh, I don't know. It's like a uh. it's like a fantasy thing. Sci-fi fantasy thing. Oh, okay. All right. So, so my animal sidekick, that is my representation of my evil corporation and my ideals and my... My 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 will to dominate. Uh, it's a bear. Yeah, it's a bear. Wow. Why yeah. a bear? Well, a bear has many uh, has many functions. It can do many things. Uh, it can tear my enemies apart. Uh, it's got mm-hmm. sharp claws, uh, razor sharp teeth. Uh, but it's also you can also ride a bear if it's big enough. Like I, I'd That's like true. to think that that my bear would be like big enough that I could put a saddle on it and it could just like waddle along and you know. 
I could have maybe like a weapon on by my side and like the side of my bear and me at the front of my armies just strikes fear into my into my opponents. Um, but also equally as valuable as being able to tear my enemies limb from limb is the ability to just snuggle with it. I mean, cold winter's <laughs> nights, oh, yeah. you know, a bear is uh, a bear is a is a warm companion when uh, those those winds are howling, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like okay. a, it's like a it's like a giant Labrador or giant golden retriever that can uh, kill a lot of people, but also really snuggly. I'm not really seeing the comparison to a golden retriever very strong, but okay. It's the fur. It's the fur. <laughs> the fur. Okay, so any furry animal. It's just like a golden retriever, really. Okay, it's a giant rabbit or a giant guinea pig that, I don't know. It's got, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, that's... that's, that's anyway, that's my choice. That is my choice. That that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I was I was trying to think of like things that are truly terrifying, but like also kind of unique. And uh, I will say one of the comments on that subreddit, I don't want to, I want to mention it, but I don't want to steal it, was a Canadian goose. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty real. Like, the yeah. geese are actually pretty terrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't like birds that much, you know, so I don't think, I don't think that would be mine. Like, I thought maybe like a hawk or something, but mm. I think I'm more ground based. So I was thinking like a rhino could be kind of cool. A rhino. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like brute force, man. You're just like, that direction, go. You know, yep. and it just goes. It's like a tank on legs. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And also, as well, I was also thinking, I can ride it. It'd be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If, if we were in the same, if we were in the same, uh, like, army or group, you could have, I could have the, um, I could have the hip hopopotamus and you could have the rhinoceros. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. The Rhymanoceros. Cool. Is that from Flight of the Concords? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. I was from trying to think of it. Hippopotamus versus Rhymanoceros. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> and I just thought, you know, like, how cool is, like, an armored and blinged up rhino, you know? Bro. Just looks... It would just look cool. Yep. Yeah. yeah. In Magic the Gathering, there is a card that was absolutely um, dominant for a while. It was the Siege Rhino. It was Ooh. sick. In fact, I'm going to look it up right now to see how cool it is because it was literally like what you're describing, like a tank on legs. It was just uh, amazing. I don't know. what The first thing I thought of when you said that was like a rhino with a trebuchet on its back. Okay. Well, it doesn't have a trebuchet, but <laughs> well, if you look, I'm, I'm holding, it up to the, hold, holding up to the, the camera. Can you oh, see that? Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's yeah, got yeah. Like, it's like a... If you guys watch it, the YouTube video, you can see this. Yes. It's yep. it's it's pretty insane as well. It's it's one colorless, one white, one black, and one green. So four for a four-five trample. When Siege Rhino enters the battlefield, each opponent loses three life, and you gain three life. Ninety-five percent of people listening have no idea what you're talking about. I, I don't even care. Okay. They, I, bro, <laughs> okay. This is Magic: The Gathering, man. You either get it or you don't. If you don't, I'm sorry. True. There's nothing I can do for you. So. All you need all you need to know is that it is a gigantic rhino that has like a like a, a a tent on top of it and it is it's huge it's it's amazing yeah that's cool and yeah. it's from it's um, from the, the abzan clan in uh uh Tarkia. all right the, all right that's okay, that's enough I'll, jesse I'll that's I enough okay <laughs> um did uh do you reckon your answer would be different if you if it was a hero your sidekick and you were a hero Ooh. That's an interesting question. Yeah, maybe that should be next week's question of the week. Maybe if I was a hero, I would have a different kind of bear. Because, like, if I was a villain, maybe it would be like a grizzly bear. But if I was a, or maybe like a black bear. And if I was a hero, <laughs> it'd be Winnie the Pooh. It'd be Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Hey, honey bear. <laughs> yeah. Super yeah. friendly, dopey bear, like a panda. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay that's, that's more like a disney sidekick than like something that you can bring into battle <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, i don't know yeah I don't, yeah but, okay you know what that's i'm giving you in advance yeah we're going to talk about that next week your hero right. sidekick okay. animal all right. all right all right um awesome so uh let's talk about the old testament <laughs> for a moment <laughs> 
<laughs> Can I go back to my siege rhino from Magic the Gathering? Because I feel like that would fit right in with some of the Old Testament stuff that we're going to talk about today. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to lie. Some of the Old Testament stories could have been much more interesting if there was a rhino with a trebuchet on its back. Yep. Yeah, like even yep. if they just stuck it like randomly in the middle of one of the genealogies somewhere, just like this is the son of this, this is the son of that, then begat that, this is the son of this person, who rode a rhino with a trebuchet on his back into war, like wow, and then just goes back into the genealogy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I actually want to read the Bible now. That's amazing. <laughs> I just want to know more about that guy. Well, what I've always wondered is like, do you remember when um that that bit where it's recounting David's mighty men, and then one yes. of them is like he fought a lion man from Egypt or, or, or whatever. I'm yeah. like, what is a lion man? Because not to go back to Magic the Gathering, but <laughs> <laughs> in Magic, there are lion people. They're called Leonin and they're literally like people with like human leg or human-ish legs and then like a lion's head. It's like... They're just like it's... upright lions, eh? Like yeah. humanoid lions, basically. Yeah, exactly. Like... It, did that actually exist or is it like he was strong like a lion and his teeth uh, were like a lion that would be kind of lame but i don't know it's- i want to look it up and i also don't want to because i kind of just want to leave it up to the imagination and i'm sure mm. if i look it up it'll be a real buzzkill like oh it was just this certain group and <laughs> the lion people they they had a lion as their crest and yeah. they were called lion people <laughs> yeah you're like oh well let's yeah yeah, rather than yeah. what I want to picture is like a guy in like full lion shaped armor or something, you know what I That's mean? Right. Just looking awesome. Oh, that would be cool. Like um like what's his name from Warcraft, the like the um you know how they have like the lion shaped the alliance. Armor? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I can't remember the guy's name right now, but yeah. even like if you've ever seen Gladiator, there's a guy in there with like a lion like mm. helmet in there. That movie. Old movie, but a good movie. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Old Testament. Um, so often, like we were saying before, a lot of people have this idea of the Old Testament God being super. Um, I don't know. Just like, just seems really different to G- like to Jesus. To be fair, I can really see where they're coming from with a lot yes. of things when you say that. It does take a bit of digging and a bit of trying to put your your mind into the into the mind of like the earlier audience reading this, like the people who were there at the day, at the time even. Um, and remembering that the Old Testament's it's a really, it's really old. You know, yeah. like New Testament is 2,000 year old, 2,000 year old literature, which is, that's old. But Old Testament, you know, can be like... It's at what? least, at least 5,000 years old, I think. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So like that's, that's a that's a lot of generations of people, a lot of time for the way we think about the world to change. Because um, yeah. I I feel like as people we've matured a lot, too. Yeah. In a way, yeah. I'm not saying we're better than people back then or something. It's more that we the way we think about the world has like advanced, changed, and matured. Maybe I don't know. Well, yes. in our in our mind, matured, but it's definitely different. Well, okay, so we have we have the benefit of 2000 years of culture and civilization which has been influenced by christianity and yeah. the judeo christian sort of worldview and we have evolved in many ways according to the shape of that of that worldview in some cases not but in many cases yes and the other thing just to go back to your earlier point is the fact that in the hebrew scriptures we have the span of thousands of years um, whereas in the New Testament, we are pretty much situated between the birth of Jesus at the turn of the century, um, all the way up to Jesus's death, and then several decades after Jesus's death. But that's it. Like we don't have much more than that. So mm. you're comparing thousands of years of history through many generations and people groups and kings and genealogies to just the span of five decades maybe less sort of thing. So yeah, it's very, it's very difficult to compare the two. But as you said, it is something that we have to grapple with because when people look at the Old Testament and they see, quote unquote, angry God, um, I mean, it, we, can't, we can't like ignore that, which is why we're talking about yeah. it now. 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who don't who don't believe in God because of a picture they've had of God based on like things that they've heard about with the Old Testament. Yeah. And I think it can be quite I think the Old Testament can be quite confronting to us. Um, because like, I mean, I think we'll talk about this later, but like violence is a big thing. Like people see like the violence, even in the new Testament and stuff, but particularly the old Testament, they're like, it's so violent. There's so much bloodshed. I feel like even a hundred years ago, people were like, that's just, well, maybe not a hundred, but like 200 years ago, people like, that's just life. That's just what life is like. No one cared. It's only been sort of recently, like where we're living in this time of way more peace and you know, it, it can often take a lot. To a certain degree, like we still live in a world where in, in some parts of the world, violence and bloodshed are still the norm, depending on oh, where you totally. live. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like, but I mean, the kind yeah. of peace that us here in the Western world are experiencing is absolutely it's... pretty different to the rest of history from what <laughs> I understand <laughs> you, you anyway. Know, you, you know what it is, Josh? What? It's, it's unprecedented. Unprecedented. <laughs> that word is <laughs> <laughs> right now. In the, I know like, some people will be listening to this podcast in two years and be like, what's the big deal about that word? Right now, it's just getting thrown around a lot. As it, <laughs> what, in um, March, end of March 20, 2020. Yeah. If you want a good history lesson, you can look it up and look up. Why are people saying unprecedented so much <laughs> at that time? It'll be good. It's, it's triggering for us right now. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think... Um, and so for us, we get really like troubled, troubled by that. You know, we're like, oh, like there's people dying. Oh, they're getting hurt and whatever. You know, that's just so foreign. It's become so foreign to us now. Like if you yeah. live in a in, like living in Australia or New Zealand, like some people it can be years of their life, like you know, a couple of decades even before they even know somebody. They're close to somebody who dies in their life. Yeah. Whereas back then. Yeah. when you're a child you see people die around you that you know that kind of thing it's just normal i, I don't mean, know maybe I, they're a lot more accustomed to death than we are yeah no i think it's absolutely true i mean the fact is that we live in a world where we've never been more prosperous we've never been more free and we've never been so far removed from the effects of violence and disease well up until like now um as far as the disease yeah. part is concerned yeah but, yeah you know, to to see somebody, uh, your next door neighbor, um, die from some sort of preventable infection, from an injury, or to just see somebody die from an injury at work, um, mm. to see public execution, um, natural disaster, wipe out half your village, or just a neighboring tribe coming in, raping and pillaging, killing the men, carting the women and the children off in chains, like... Up until the modern era, that was normal for most of the world. Mm. Um, so in, in some cases, like, you know, I really struggle with this because in some ways I want to say that we're better as a people, but I know that we're kind of not at the same time. Like yeah. we have this moral this moral compass of violence and the sanctity of human life and it's never okay to kill somebody else, but at the same time, we are guilty of some of the same sins just in a different way in the modern era. So in some ways it's like, yeah, we're better than our ancestors, but in other ways we're not. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I guess that time we're looking at in biblical times is really different. And I think the way they saw God and the divine was really different too. Like the way they saw human life, but also the way they saw divine life and how humans interacted with the divine um to to them it was really different um and there are a lot of things in the old testament that when you compare it to the world around them at the time the old testament is actually radically different in a lot of ways um so i guess yeah jumping into jumping into it a little bit um so one thing I've been I've been reading about a, a, a fair bit recently is like going through Exodus again and Numbers, um, which can be a bit of a slog to read at time. Um, <laughs> Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers—it's all um, yeah, could be a bit frustrating to read. But it, I feel like one thing I hear a lot is particular, and this is kind of what we're going to hone in a bit today is that the Old Testament feels really legalistic at times. Um, it's like God just laying down all of these rules that people have to follow or, or they'll get smited or something, you know? 
Um, I don't know. Do you hear that much, Jesse? Yeah, no, definitely. That's a question that I, I have all the time um, from people and just uh, like Christians and non-Christians. Because I don't know. I feel like we have this misconception that Christians are totally okay with this and <laughs> non-Christians are the ones who have an issue. But ironically, it's probably been the Christians that I've talked to that have more issues with this. And you could probably put that down to the fact that they're actually reading the Bible, whereas most non-Christians are not reading the Bible. So yeah. that makes sense. But um, yeah, especially especially like our generation, the millennial generation and, and Gen Z, I don't know that the boomers really had much of a... I don't know. Like when I, when I um, was growing up, my parents who are baby boomers, um, or at least aging Gen Xs, I don't even know, they didn't seem to have as much of an issue with this because they just could put it down to, well, God knows best. So obviously God had good reasons, even if we don't understand the reasons and mm-hmm. that's fine with me. Um, I think the Gen Xs were the ones who kind of started to question things a little bit more and to think actually, no, well, let's, let's, let's question this. Let's, let's ask why. And I think maybe that tradition has kind of been passed on to us. Um, mm. But it's definitely a big one. I mean, my um one of the small groups I'm part of is studying judges right now, and that's one of the questions that is always is always thrown up because yeah. judges is also an incredibly bloody book. Um, so yeah, no, it's 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 a big one, and it's obviously one that I've struggled with. We've both struggled with on our own um in our own walks as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. Um, so and and I guess like what. Well, one, okay, the main point that I see a lot of people throw out is they feel like Jesus is all grace and the Old yeah. Testament is all law. That yeah. I hear it all the time. And I would say I probably believed it for a long time. I still, yeah. I still think it's easier to see grace in, um, in, the, in Jesus, in the life and ministry of Jesus, than it is in the Old Testament. But it is definitely present in the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, it's like Old Covenant, New Covenant sort of. I think we we lump those those two things in together a lot of the time where yeah. it's like old covenant is all about like if you if you eat the right animals if you wear the right clothing if you worship on the right days if you don't do the bad things then God's going to be okay with you and if you don't well then you know all hell will break loose mm. or whatever you know whereas it's like new testament is grace eat whatever you want wear whatever you want just do the nice things and trust that you're covered by the blood of Jesus and yep. everything's going to be fine. So yeah. 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 Um, totally. Uh, so, um, yeah. So I guess what we have to look at first is why and when God gave the law. Now we kind of already did an episode on the law, um, which covers a bit of how more of like its function, how it works. Mm. I think maybe in how it was perceived and received. Yep. Um, so this is more about a why, 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 and and when God gave the law, um, mm. like you know things like you see in, in Exodus, Leviticus, and um, like building the tabernacle and the Ten Commandments, and then like laying down all these like really, um, like the clean and unclean stuff that you see all the way through Leviticus, um, all that kind of stuff. People see that, and then they see they see like. Like, look at all this. There's so much that they had to do. Yeah. Um, but I think if you take a step back and look at it, that starts in like the second half of Exodus. The mm. first half is God rescuing people from Egypt on no merit of their own whatsoever. Like, mm. it's it's total grace. It's like he steps in and brings them out of Egypt based on absolutely nothing they've done. They did nothing to deserve it that you can mm. read in the story anyway. They're just and, there, like, wallowing in their sort of pain and their grief and they're crying out and God hears the cry, but he doesn't enter into any arrangement or covenant. He doesn't He doesn't tell them, hey, I'll rescue yep. you. I'll just sign on the dotted line, agree to all these terms and conditions, and then we'll make it happen. Like, he goes out of his way and he rescues them before, before you know, actually asking anything of them. Exactly. Uh, so... He only gives them laws and things to follow after he rescues them. And it's like, yeah. that's that's awesome, you know? It's like on the way into the promised land, he's like, okay, now here's what I want you to look like. Uh, yeah. And that's that's the big thing. 
which is really cool. Like, I, I don't know. I think a lot of people, they, they take it out of that frame and they just see all the laws that are given. They don't realize that those are given, those are given after the saving has already taken place. Like, they're mm. on their way to the promised land at this point. Yeah. Like, they don't have to do that necessarily to get into the promised land. Yeah. Do we maybe want to do, like, a little bit of revision on, like, I know we already did that whole episode on the law, but to get people up to speed if they haven't listened to that episode or maybe they just need a refresher on, like, what is the law? What function did it serve? Just, like, a really quick one. Go for it. Okay. Well, so, law at least in the Old Testament sense, in the Judaic sense, Torah, um, it just seem, it just means teaching, right? So the word that we use to translate um, to law, Torah, we probably shouldn't translate it as, as law. We should translate it more as teaching. Mm, so, or, or wisdom. Yeah, or wisdom. That's a good translation as well. So when it comes to thinking about what the law is, especially in Leviticus and um, Deuteronomy and Numbers, we see that, well, number one, we see that the law is laid out, Torah teaching is laid out in narrative form because it's not just static teachings, thou shalt do, thou shalt not do with no examples. Almost every single time that a teaching is given to the people, there is an example of, of the people ultimately either living up to it or failing it. Mm. Usually it's the latter. Um, so for instance, we see um, the teaching where uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me and talking about worship and all that sort of stuff. And what is ultimately followed is the story of the golden calf where the, the, the people, they fail to um, observe true worship um, of laying down of idols and, and only worshiping Yahweh. Um, the other, the other thing, and I'm glad you mentioned wisdom is that teaching and law are wrapped up with wisdom. Feel free to jump in at any time, by the way. Um, no, you're doing good, man. Keep going. I'm just cheering from the (laughs) sideline. Like, yeah, you got this. Um, so wisdom, uh, one of the things that God, um, continually tells his people, not just during these three books, but also throughout the whole Old Testament narrative is the instruction to listen and hear, O Mm. Israel, listen and hear, listen to my voice. In the Old Testament, um, the the Hebrew scriptures, the command to listening to the voice of God is the same as doing the will of God. So Mm. the implication is that you will listen and do. Um, There's no such thing in an ancient Hebraic sense of listening and then taking it on advisement or listening and going, yeah, I don't know. You either listen yeah. or you don't listen. Um, hmm. There's there's no sort of middle ground. And so wisdom is about listening to the voice of God, which is what ultimately the very first humans failed to do. Um, yeah. When they were, they were put in the garden of Eden and they were instructed to eat of any tree except for the tree of knowing um, Tov and Ra, the, the tree of knowing good and bad, um, they are then given a choice. Are they going to listen to the voice? Are they going to live within the wisdom of God? Or are they going to listen to another voice? The voice inside, the voice of the serpent, mm-hmm. and ultimately they choose to not listen to God's voice and therefore consequences follow, which we are all now living in. So, yeah. the other aspect is that Israel would listen to the voice of God because listening and obeying are the same thing. And the implication is that if you listen and obey, you will live within God's wisdom and you will be transformed. Mm. And that is what God is ultimately wanting for his nation of priests. He wants a transformed nation that, in the same way that he promises Abraham, will bless all the nations through. That's that's the idea. Um, that's yeah. why continually throughout the prophets, especially, there is the cry that um, God would one day transform the people's hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, hearts that will listen to God and will live in his wisdom and will live in his ways. That's the purpose of the teachings. That's the purpose of the law um, is to transform the people so that they will be his true covenant people 
and so that all the nations will be blessed through them. Yeah. And I guess speaking about that blessing, like like part of the reason it's wisdom is because the ways that God weighs out, like the, the ways that God lays out um, how he wants his people to live, they're actually functionally very, like they're functionally better than most other societies at the time. Like yeah. cl- they, they would equal a, like a healthier society where the poor is actually looked after, where there would be less disease because you have things like the Levites distinguishing between what molds and what fleshes and what, <laughs> what's unclean, what, you know, what's clean and yeah. unclean. Like it's, it's a functionally, it's functionally wise as well. And that functionally wise society is then better equipped to be a blessing both to themselves and to the other nations around them. So it's like this wisdom is, like it's not all just religious, it's actually also functional wisdom as well, which yeah. I think is really cool when you look at it like that. Um, so it's, I think it's, really, it's, it's a really cool thing that God actually gave at the time. Mm. Um, should we take a quick break and then we'll come back? Yeah. Awesome. So continuing on, um, this like functional wisdom that God gives... Um, there's also another, I've got basically another two points, um, that I think are really cool about it as well. Um, and how it's, how it shows grace. Firstly, um, is, well, not first, technically, this is second point or third point. I don't know. We're just kind of riffing (laughs) through, (laughs) um, is that the like other, what is it? Like beliefs of other like systems of belief back then in those times, you didn't know what the gods wanted. Mm. Like you had no idea what the gods wanted to be happy. Whereas like the God of Israel lays out exactly like very clearly, hey, here's what I want you to do. This is pleasing to me. This is pleasing. Now that you've been saved, I've rescued you out. Let me lay out. This is what I think would be best for us in our relationship. And Mm. just lays the whole thing out as clear as day. Like even us today, thousands of years removed from it can pretty easily see what kind of society and the sort of things that God wanted them to do. Mm. Um, Whereas other religions at the time or other beliefs in like gods, they had no idea. It was trial and error. Like, well, we'll, we need rain. Uh, Let's do a rain dance. Didn't give rain. Uh, Maybe we need a better rain dance. Okay, let's get more people involved. We're still not getting rain. Uh, Okay, let's maybe start sacrificing things, you know, that sort of thing. They just would guess and then they would see something good happen and they're like, oh, the gods must like this. Okay, uh, mm. I guess we'll do it again next time. You know, that sort of thing. So it was it was a real guessing game. Mm. Whereas, like, mm. yeah, the and I think from my understanding, even like the the priests didn't necessarily even know like of these other religions. The priests didn't necessarily even know what the gods wanted. They yeah. were kind of guessing too. They were just getting information passed on from priests before them. Were like, oh yeah, the gods tend to like this sort of thing. You know, <laughs> like it's yeah uh, yeah. yeah maybe some were more advanced but you know just make it, sure that you on a wednesday afternoon at about 2:30 bale really likes a peanut butter and jam sandwich <laughs> on his altar just put a peanut butter and jam sandwich that usually does the trick all right carry on it'll be gone in a couple hours so don't look just leave so it's not, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah i and so that was and i mean i guess obviously like for us we're monotheistic so we believe there is only one god so it does make sense why the others would have no clear indication. Yeah, well, you know there, is I mean? a, there, there is, a, yeah, there, well, I mean, there's, I guess there's two schools of thought there. There's the first school of thought, which would say that um, all ancient gods and deities were just figments of people's collective spiritual imagination. Yeah. And then there's the other group, you know, group, which would be like, well, maybe that's true for some deities, but maybe some other deities were also represented by actual spiritual beings who were possibly demonic or at least malevolent in origin to set themselves up in opposition to true God Yahweh. So um, you can see it from, you know, one of those two angles. Yeah. Mm. I was also, well, I don't know. I don't know if I should bring this up, but since we're talking about schools of thought, uh, I was also reading something about how there are, there's some schools of thought that believe that the Christian God Yahweh or Judeo-Christian God Yahweh is like, is you know how he's referred to as the God of gods. It's like there are other gods, but he's Mm. like the God to be worshipped. Right. Right, yeah, yeah, which was it? I don't know if I buy it, but it was an interesting read anyway. Um, ah. So I guess there's that school of thought too, which is just worth bringing up as a comparison, um, depending yeah. on whatever you um, believe. Um, well, I mean, if you if you read the um, if you read the the Exodus narrative, there's definitely 
no part where Yahweh God says, hey, all the Egyptian gods are rubbish and pointless and they don't actually exist. Actually, the implication is that Yahweh is triumphing over the Egyptian gods throughout the, the 10 plagues. So, yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, you could argue... I mean, we're getting a little bit distracted, but you could argue <laughs> is either God, like, not... Like, maybe it's harder... Maybe it would have been harder back then for God to argue that gods aren't real. Yeah, I mean, it would be harder to convince somebody that their gods aren't real. It would be easier to convince them that, look, this God is the true God, if that makes sense, rather than say your gods aren't, I don't know, but... Yeah, well, I mean, there's evidence all the way throughout Israelite history that um, Israelites, they generally held Yahweh as being supreme God over all the gods, but they also, many of them worshipped other gods like you know when we see Gideon he's like there with all his other gods everywhere else yeah it's like we're gonna worship Yahweh but then we're also gonna worship you know Baba Ganoush whatever I don't know um (laughs) (laughs) I should have just said Baal or Asherah I don't know you should have that's probably not the right but yeah um yeah yeah, no well yeah you're, you're right and that's I guess and it said I guess yeah that does play into this interesting like thought train that God, God actually just laid out here here's what I want you to do it's yeah. really easy well yeah. I, I guess not necessarily easy but it's it's really clear and simple That's just right. do this like the priest will help do this make sure you're offering this all that kind of stuff this is what I want it to look like yep and that's really awesome because he came down to them as well like you know yeah. he started off on the mount with on Mount Sinai with Moses, but then the whole point of them building the whole tabernacle was so that God could dwell amongst his people. Mm. In fact, the verb, the verb there is that he could tabernacle with his people, mm. you know, like it's it's that dwelling place. Mm. And that's the whole, it's totally different. The laws were so that God could be with his people, not so that he would like, I don't know, I guess lorded over them like the other gods in a way. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he, still, he still obviously is Lord and, and King and, and God, but... It wasn't in a way that they all just had to be like ants and he's like yeah. on an ant hill with a magnifying glass or something. Well, that's why Psalm chapter 8 is probably my favorite chapter in Psalms because the psalmist talks about how God has created mankind a little lower than the angels, but he has crowned mankind with glory and honor, that God mm. has actually shared his glory. So that God's original idea was that ruling and reigning together in partnership would be the way that God would relate to human beings, that we would recognize the divinity with which we were made and uh, exercise that divinity appropriately within the uh, design of, of God's wisdom. That's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I didn't connect it that. Yeah, that's... And I guess that's that's the cool thing. It like shows how much he values us and values yeah. relationship with us. Even back then when we see this law and we see like, oh, he just wants us to do all of these things. But yeah. it's it's all about relationship. It's, it's because he wants that relationship with us and he wants yeah, to dwell with us. That's what he wants to do with the Israelite nation. He hmm. wants the Israelite nation to be his partner. He wants the Israelite nation to be like... Like we talk about being God's representatives, like that's kind of like a fairly innocuous sort of phrase that we use. I feel like it's lost a little bit of meaning, but it's like literally God wants his people to be an extension of him, to to, to be like, you know, like an ambassador. Like we are, you know, we may be living on the earth, we might not be living in the heavenly realm or whatever, but we act as though we are representing to a divine level God's intentions, will and wishes uh, and his heart to the, the nations around us. That's God's intention for Israel. And that's a, God's intention for us through Christ. Yeah, that leads perfectly to my last, last point. So one of the commandments, the third, the third commandment, it is a little bit hard to number the commandments, but the third <laughs> commandment is like not using the Lord's name in vain, right? Um, it's it's interesting. I mean, a lot of people think this is just like, if you stub your toe and then you say, oh my um, which I mean, you could mean in a very serious way. You could say, "I'm in pain, Jesus. Can you please help me?" But <laughs> obviously, the thing is that you wouldn't use it. Generally anyway. speaking, yeah, generally. Yeah. So a lot of people take it. I think that's how they read it, which is a very um, just don't swear. Yeah, yeah, like uh, which. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I don't know why. It seems like a very like. I don't. I don't know why we. Why, like that's the conclusion we come to from that. I mean, right. 
it's very strange to me but because it's it's a lot deeper than that if you if you read into it um so um the bible project does a really good episode on this with um a certain scholar whose name has escaped me right now but um dr carmen something something yeah yeah, that sounds right We'll, we'll we'll link it in the show notes anyway yeah yeah um and it's really interesting idea that really plays into like what we're talking about today um but the whole thing is it's would be more in line to say that god is putting his name on israel Mm. um just like how the priests you know they would wear like a um a chess piece that had these 12 precious gems and each gem had its um each gem had like a name of each of the tribes Mm. engraved upon it but then they would also wear something on their head that basically had something that says like property of god property of yahweh on it that's what the priest Mm. would wear and in the same way the the priests are like deeming everybody in israel to be gods to be god's people to be his chosen people and so when god's laying out these laws this this wisdom these teachings he's laying out here's what it looks like for you to bear my name so Mm. don't go around and bear my name in a false way like don't go and say you're my child but then act totally different to that yeah yeah it's totally different it's totally different to just don't swear yeah (laughs) like it's like you it's like we have become the people that he has put his name on yeah it's like a huge responsibility like it's a huge responsibility like (laughs) the implication is that you know like there are other people who have not had his name put on them and we are representing him to them and it's like that's crazy that's huge yeah and um that's like he he wanted them to to be like i mean we talk we talk about it today and it becomes very like christianese thing but it's like you know you're the hands and feet of jesus and uh, that that kind of thing like you're yeah. you're being christ to someone but it was the same back then too like they were they were representing how much better their god is to the mm. world they were his chosen people to go out and show the world the kind of people that god wanted them to be yeah who loved and cared for their neighbor who would make sure the poor were looked after and the widowed and all that kind of thing and you know what i mean like I, yeah it's just it's 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 a huge like you're saying it's a huge responsibility and that's why like i guess a side of me now understanding that can see why some of the punishments were quite they seem quite harsh to us we're not there. It's hard when they're recounting this old story. Mm. It's hard to figure out exactly, like, was the punishment harsh? I don't know. Like, it, it's hard for us to put out, like, to be there. Uh, wait, what am I saying? It's hard for us to, like, really put our, our feet in their shoes. Right, right. Yeah. And as we, as we talked about before, you know, we have the benefit of being 21st century people and our temptation is to apply our moral compass to Mm. this very ancient text and get outraged when this ancient text that was written a different time, different culture with different value sets doesn't live up to our, our specific value set. Yeah. Um, It's, it's, it's very like, so when you think about it that way, it's like, on the one hand, I can understand why people would have an issue with the Bible. On the other hand, how can you have an issue with the Bible? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I mean, I guess I can understand, like, if God's saying, no, you're, you're not acting in accordance to how my people are meant to act. Yeah. And that's, that's bad. You know, you're living in my promised land, whatever, like, and you're, you're, not, you're not being the people of the promised land. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's pretty interesting. Like, it's... And yeah, again, I mean, you read stuff about like the earth opening up and swallowing people and you're like, okay, that seems a bit like over the top, <laughs> especially yeah. like when it, you know, when it includes like the, the, the women and the children as well, like yes. the, the wives and the, the children. Yes. But I guess from our perspective, it's hard to, and again, this isn't an all encompassing answer or anything. It, it's, there's definitely room for questioning in this, but I guess it's more thinking, well, what would be better that those, the, the wife and children live their life like continue to live their life in a life of like shame of what the husband had done and be like constantly mm. isolated. Mm. I don't know. Like, cause even our modern day prison system, we think that's just because only the person who did the crime goes to prison. But then you think, well, it still affects the wife and the children, their whole lives kind of thing. So it's yeah, not to judge anyone, but I'm just saying like, it's, 
it's not always like I don't know if there is a perfect system and it's no. it's hard to it's hard to figure out what the best what the best course of action is. But I yeah. can see why God was so serious about people genuinely representing him and wanting yes. people to be his kind of people. It's a shame that we have kind of obscured and neglected the actual significance of these these ancient sections of the Hebrew Bible. Because yeah. I think that once, well, I'll say once I, you know, started to really understand what they were talking about and what they were leading Israel towards, it makes the later history of Israel much more meaningful and also more heartbreaking because you see the ways in which God is leading Israel to become his covenant people, to be his priest of nations, to be this example to the world that would bless and would transform the entire world. Mm. And then you see the ways in which Israel just like it has these, these moments of absolute brilliance and hope, like, it's, it's going to happen, you know, yeah. the golden age of King David where, you know, he's a man after God's own heart or even Solomon or some of the later kings who actually get it right. But then the 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 actual sort of, um, well, the majority of Israel's history is really painful examples of what happens when human beings decide to go their own way and to just reject God's invitation to listen to his voice, to walk yep. in his wisdom. Yeah. And you see the fruits of that just play out over and over and over again. But that's, again, and this is a, this is my last point after this, I'm done. You can say whatever you want. But uh, <laughs> um, the last point is the fact that even when they, as a nation, like as a collective, continue to break the law, continue to go against the wisdom of God, he would punish, but he would forgive over and over and over mm. again. And he would bring them back. They would make the mistakes again. He might punish them. He might send them out for a bit. You know, but he, he just kept forgiving and kept bringing them back. And when they would repent, he would come back straight away. It was, it's mind blo- like mind blowing to read it and see how many times God forgave them and came back. And then they just went and did their own thing again. You could probably argue that there are more examples of grace in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, than you could possibly find in the New Testament. Ooh. Numerical, I would say, yeah, numerically, yes, but maybe in terms of um, size of grace, maybe I don't know, because Jesus, well, yeah. the death, the death and resurrection of Jesus I, is like okay. that's paying well, that's, for the sins of everybody, past, like present, a, future. Okay, that's like a trump card. That's like a yeah. <laughs> insta win that, card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's like the bigger example of grace, but numerically, but in, in terms, in terms of like you know an entire nation stuffing up and then getting enslaved or getting subjugated or getting oppressed and then calling out to God and then God comes in and rescues them only to repeat this cycle again dozens more times until finally they're driven into exile. And even when they are driven into exile, God is continually writing them love letters saying, hey, things are really rough right now, but there is hope. There is somebody coming who is going to right all the wrongs, who's going to make rivers in the desert. Like that's... I don't know how you cannot see grace in all of that, considering how much of an, a spoiled, ungrateful child Israel is throughout basically their entire history. Yeah. You know, bar those few moments. Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing. It's like he he laid all this out. And this, I guess, a summary. He's like, he laid it all out like after he'd already saved them. He laid it out clearly for them. He gave them wisdom that was practical, that would make them better and the nations around them better. He made it. Um, he, he said, hey, this is serious. This is about bearing my name. And he forgave them over and over and over again. Yeah. And it, yeah. And yet we come along and say, oh, look how violent and horrible the God of the Old Testament <laughs> is. You know what I mean? It's like, wow. Yeah. But you have to, it's a definitely a series of books that you have to step back and look at the larger picture. Yep. It's not even something like you you wouldn't you don't know it's it's also the kind of thing where you have to look at it in like you can't look at single people or single things in isolation it's all to do with Israel as a nation not individuals yep. if that makes sense context mm. is everything yep um and yeah. speaking of context I, I this this week's episode is very much more of a broad overview and an introduction to this this whole idea we've yep. definitely come to some conclusions 
but we're not just going to leave it at that. We we want to really dig into more specifics in the coming weeks. And again, we don't really know how long this is going to take and where this is exactly going to lead us. We've got a few things in mind. We definitely want to address um, the killing and the genocide thing. There are a couple of other things that we want to address as well. So as we move forward, we're going to get a little bit more specific. We are going to zero in on a few specific stories and um, specific moments in uh, in the Old Testament history. So I'm really excited to bust open the book mm. and uh, and talk about some of these specifics. But uh, I think one thing, and then I'm done, um, and we can move on from this, but I think if you guys have any specific questions or specific thoughts or want us to address anything um, other specific that is really burning um, because there's heaps of this to, to draw upon. Uh, send us a message, send us an email. You guys know how to get in contact with us, but um, we'd love to hear about where you would kind of like us to move. Um, and that might, you know, sort of help us to zero in on some of the stories that really matter and are really important to you guys. Mm, yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah, we'd definitely love to hear from you about that because like about all this because it will influence how the series continues. Um, so, yeah, let us know. Uh, and, of course, the best place to find all things Burn the Haystack is burnthehaystack.org. So, it links to our social media and also a direct contact form so you can send us your thoughts directly. Amazing. Uh, and if this is the first time that you've listened to an episode of Burn the Haystack, welcome. Um, so glad to have you with us. If this is your 100th episode, welcome back, old friend. It's good to have you. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you uh, would like to support Burn the Haystack, you can do so by leaving us a rating or a review on your podcasting app of choice. We would really appreciate it if you did that. Um, it really helps us to get more exposure and get this podcast out to more people. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for listening. We love you. Stay awesome. That is Josh and Jesse.